try this again. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you today. Welcome to church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege and honor to welcome you to church with us today. If this is one of your first times joining us, uh, we'd love for you to connect with us and communicate with us. Uh, and the way that you do that is by communicating uh, with the communication card that you can find on the seat back in front of you. If you could take one of those and fill that out. And if you have a minute or two afterwards, please come by and see us at the Welcome Center. We have a free gift just for joining us this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping with us today. For those of you joining us online, if you would be so kind to go to our website at vlchurch.com, and there's a banner on the front page just for you that says, Are You New Here? If you could click on that banner and fill out that form that pops up on your screen, I will personally connect with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you once again for joining us as well. I do have a few reminders and one big announcement for you this morning, so we can go to our next slide here. The first uh, reminder is the fact that we have uh, life groups that are starting up this week once again. We've had a few that have started within the last month. We have more that are starting this week on this Wednesday. So if you haven't gotten signed up for a life group, please do so. You can go to our website at vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says life groups, and we'd love to see you in one of those sometime this week. I have one more announcement and uh, probably new information for you, as you as you may know. Maybe it's not new. You heard last last week or uh, last couple of weeks that uh, Pastor Peter is leading our youth on a mission trip this summer to Honduras, and they are going to be having an information meeting today after second service in the South Sanctuary. And I have the details in front of me. In which case, Pastor Peter says, just wait, wait a few minutes after second service. Probably wait until like 12.10 if you want to go into uh, the info meeting for this mission trip that's going to Honduras this next summer. But we'd love to have you there. Even if you don't know and if you're on the fence about it, uh, please come and hear more about this, this amazing trip that's going to be happening in the summer of 2024 that I believe is going to be happening sometime in July. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of information and announcements. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can go to our website and give. You can give via text, or you can give, of course, as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord uh, with your tithes and offerings today. I can I ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, what a privilege to come into this place and to lift you up, to honor you, to give praise to you for so many things that you have done into our lives, in our lives. We ask that you would meet us here. I know that some came this morning with needs, with burdens. Uh, some came heavy laden with things that they just need to lay at the foot of the cross. And I pray, God, that right now your Holy Spirit would move, that your Holy Spirit would intervene. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead hearts, minds, and souls this morning to utter things unto you that they don't even understand. That's the mystery of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work now as we worship you in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Otto. Those were some awesome words that he just prayed over you this morning. This morning, when you open your mouth and you begin to pray, God is going to move into needs that you didn't even know you had. But it's 9.35 in the morning. Sometimes you got to flip that switch. This morning, if you want to see God in this place, you're going to have to flip that switch and turn on some praise today. 
there are some people who were here on Friday night, and they got to worship and praise with us, and they're just going to carry over what happened on Friday night into this room this morning, but we invite you to do it with us. So let's praise the Lord together today. Amen? Amen.
who are so excited about worship that they're breaking strings on their guitar. And so I can't blame him. It's a great song, and we got to play hard because we're loving the Lord and we're loving what we do this morning. But we're just going to take a second and let him get his guitar situated there. It's my guitar. You'll like it better anyway. I'm just kidding. So we have a moment where we've just praised the Lord. We've shouted before God. And why? Why? Because he's done something so magnificent and so wonderful for us, which is sending his son Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. And what that does for us is it gives us forgiveness in this life now, but it gives us hope for eternal life forever. That's why we're singing. That's why we're shouting. But this morning, sometimes we like to go our own way in life. Sometimes we like to lead our own life. And we're about to sing a song that talks about God telling us who we are, how we are found in him. And when we allow ourselves to be found in him, just how much better his plans are than our own. So this morning, when we sing, Who You Say I Am, what we're declaring is not just that God has something for us, something that he speaks over us, but we're also declaring, Lord, we surrender to who you say that we are. It's not who I say I am. It's not the things I do in life that define me, but it's who you say I am. So this morning, let's go ahead and we're just going to worship to that this morning, who you say I am. would welcome me I was lost but he brought me in oh his love for me oh his love for me who the sun sets free oh is free indeed I'm a child of God yes I There's a place for 
step down into darkness you open my eyes let me see the beauty that made this heart adore you hope of a life spent with you let's worship him together here i am to
Lord, of all the things that we do, of all the activities that we invest ourselves in, the worship of the living God is so important. It's important that we place ourselves beneath a God who is worthy to direct our lives. It's so important that we sing praise to God, for we are beings who have been made to praise. It's so important that we recognize in our words and in our song that which Jesus has done. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the great opportunity to come here today and to worship freely. We thank you that we don't have to hide in the basement this morning to worship. We thank you that we don't need to meet in the pre-dawn hours worried about the authorities coming to get us. We don't have to be concerned today where our next meal is coming from. Today, we have the blessing and benefit of praising unhindered, worshiping without anybody to tell us no. Lord, I pray we would continue to exercise that right until we all are around your throne, praising you, having seen you face to face. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once more to Victory Life Church this morning. I am Pastor Matt, and it is my privilege to get to uh, kind of be your host for the rest of our time together this morning. We have a very special time that we're going to have right now, and uh, you may or may not know that we uh, sent out a missions team in mid-July to south-central Mexico, and we had the opportunity as a church to fund them, pray for them, and say, go do the Lord's work in the last year. So I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to the team that's going to be coming up in just a minute. Uh, this team was formed uh, last year when the call was put out to head out to Mexico, some of them on missions trips for the first time, some of them on a missions trip for the first time in a long time. But we have had a long-term partnership with an organization called Heart for Mexico. They are a church planting organization. They have planted over 20 uh, churches in the last 20 years. Victory Life has been instrumental in helping to plant two, if not three, of these churches. We have built with them. We have uh, prayed with them. We have seeded money into these churches, and we have sent teams to do the grunt work. We have gone up into the mountains and brought audio scripture Bibles to them. We have laid floors and built walls for children's ministries with them. And we have a robust partnership. And even last the last two years, as we get to Christmas time, uh, we've been doing little Christmas catalogs whereby we can bless the orphanage and some of the missionaries who are down there. We don't just have one missionary we interact with. We have multiple missionaries and home missionaries that we interact with. And the team that's coming today ended up being able to minister in four different churches, to minister in orphanages and prisons, to be able to give food to the hungry, and to be able to bring the gospel to those who so desperately need it. So it checked all the boxes for awesome short-term missions trip 
So I'm going to direct your uh, attention to the screen this morning. There's a short video that's going to give you a little bit of context for what they did while they were there in July, and the team can come as that video is playing. Victory Life Church, how you doing? Uh, it's me, Monkey. I'm sitting on the bus. You guys helped us by. We're so excited. We're so happy. So this is our new bus, so we can bring people from the mission churches to the main church on Sunday. Thank you so much. This is a huge blessing for us since we used to have those vans with over a million miles. So it was time for a new, a new vehicle. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. everybody. Um, my name is Laura Ipatosky. For those of you don't don't know who I am, um, I'm going to talk about a couple things. Um, it's been mm, about 25 years since I've been on a missions trip. And about four years ago, uh, the Lord laid on my heart that it was time to go back on another missions trip. And my kids were grown, well, growner, bigger, <laughs> um, didn't really need me at home as much. So um, due to Unforeseen circumstances and COVID, um, wasn't able to go back right away. And when the opportunity came to go on this trip and my husband came home and said, we're going, there was no question. Yes, we're going. Um, but at that point, things had been a little stressful for me in the last couple of years at home. And I had to really um, rely on God to confirm that it was time for me to go, even though he had said it's time to go. Um, so even from the beginning, he just really um, uh, showed his, his faith to me and reaffirmed my faith in him that he would provide, that he would take care of everything. He provided down to the very penny for us to go on this trip. So thank him. Thank the church for providing as well and helping to support. Um, but so he just it reaffirmed some things in my life, reawakened some things in my life uh, by being able to go on this trip. Um, Specifically, there was one day, um, I forget the town that we were in uh, with Jonathan. Puga. We were in Puga, um, one of the many places that we went while we were there. And I think it's probably been the first time in a couple years that my kids have seen me cry and get emotional and show that I don't have a heart of stone. Um, and um, it was at just listening to Jonathan and his uh, girlfriend, I guess, uh, talk about the need in the community and um, how, you know, they continue to reach out to the community and the struggles that they have. And they rent this church from this guy. And even the struggles for them to come up with $100 of rent a month for this church to be able to, to reach out to this community. And just seeing their heart and feeling the love in the room, I, it just, just, it broke me. It broke me. I just, I lost it. <laughs> um, so it touched me to be able to see where we have been ministering for years, to be able to see where our funds have gone, to see what God is doing in that town and in, in all of the areas of Mexico that we're, that we support. Um, and it was a blessing for me to be able to physically be there to help up uplift those pastors and to help serve those pastors for the week that we were there. So thank you again for your support. And I am going to pass it off to McKenna. 
Hi, I'm McKenna, and the day before we left, I was having major second thoughts. I was, it's the first time I've been away from my mom for a very long time, and I don't know, the feelings were insane. Um, but I pushed through the negative feelings, and because I knew God had called me to do this mission, and throughout the week, I really, really was grateful that I went. Um, we were able to interact with the children and spread the word of God at their level. And then we went door to door and were able to bring 800 people to church in one week. Um, we gave food to people and we gave them clothes. And we made connections with families that if I had never gone, connections would never been made. Um, by the end of the week, I knew that I made a difference in many lives and may have brought someone to God. This trip truly changed me, and I really hope that I have the opportunity to go to back again. And then I'm going to pass it off to Matt. I'm uh, Matt Petrosky, the husband that came home and said we're going. Um, and it was really that simple. We had heard the trip was coming, and I had heard very clearly from God that we were going. And I said, okay, I'll go, and God was like, no. You're going, all four of you, the girls too. And I was like, oh, okay. So I came home, and as I did, as any good husband would do, did not discuss anything with my wife, and at the dinner table made the grand announcement, we're going to Mexico. And I braced myself because I knew it was coming. And my wife looked me in the eye and said, yes, we are. God told me we were going years ago. And I'm like, thanks for sharing. Um, but we went, and um, the whole time leading up, anybody who talked to me, you know, I would tell you, I'm really, really excited, but I have no idea why I'm going. I know why my kids are going. I know why my wife's going, but I'm clueless why I need to be, I mean, should I back out? It will save us a little bit of money. We won't have to get dog watchers. We won't, what should I do? And God's like, no, you're all going. And I got to the airport, and I said, I don't know why I'm going. And I'm in the plane. And I'm like, all right, there's no turning around, God. You could tell me whatever it is, I promise. You know, I, I'm not going to skydive out of here. Silence. Airport. Lord? Now? Nothing. And throughout the week, I'm flipping pancakes. I'm dressing up as Mario because they're doing a Super Mario Brothers um, vacation Bible school. I'm, I'm uh, you know, praying for people in bakeries and streets and walking the uh, streets in the different towns and, and pointing out to the people I'm with, no, this is actually a, this is a for real witchcraft symbol. It's, it's a real thing here. This isn't just something you see on TV. And I'm having conversations with our team members and people in the neighborhood. And I'm just like, why am I here? And then the week was over. And I'm on the plane. Why did I go? And we're in Houston forever. And I'm like, why did I go? We're back in the plane from Houston to Cleveland. And I'm like, I still don't know. Why did I go? We got off the plane and we went to get our baggage. And uh, Bill Anderson was there, our missions director. And he said, how'd it go? And I said, I know why I went. He's like, great, why'd you go? And I said, to serve. 
just to serve, not to be an elder, not to be a team leader, not to be anybody of importance or anything, just to find the joy in purely serving again. And you people who helped me go, help bring that joy back into my heart. And I hope to be able to use that rediscovered joy to continue to serve you too. Thank you. You know, there's always the concept, there's a lot of need here, right here in the States, and there's a lot of people to win to Jesus right here in the States, but the beauty of short-term missions is very reciprocal. One is that when we go, God realigns our hearts. He shows us the world church, and he shows us the ways in which we do church and the ways in which we understand how the church exists is not the full picture, because the world church is important. The second thing that it does for the people who go on a trip like this is it shows them poverty and helps them to understand that, you know, this thing that we do in America is very unique, but it's not the experience of most in the world. And the third thing it does is what McKenna and Lori and Matt were talking about. It realigns your heart in such a way that you are forever changed. You don't come back unchanged. And that's the experience not only of those three, but as they stood here for the entire team. Uh, just a little bit later today at about 12.15, we are going to have a missions meeting for a trip to Honduras that our youth group is taking. And I just encourage you parents and students, whether you're planning on going or not, or whether it sounded great to you or not, to come to that meeting because it is so important that we continue to invest in short-term missions. You say, well, what's the reciprocal part, Pastor Matt? What's the other side? When a team like this comes to a missions organization, it's like a glass of cool water on a hot day. We're not in the way. We don't, we don't interpose ourselves. We put ourselves in position to minister to Pastor who, Monkey Antonio. He call, they call him Monkey. And it's a breath of fresh air. We also have this crazy thing that happens when we go around the world is they know we're American. And that, that creates interest in these ministries. And so when they're inviting people to come and hear the gospel presentations, People come because, oh, there's Americans there. You didn't know you were that influential, did you? But that oftentimes happens. And, of course, we go because it reignites uh, the opportunity to share the gospel with other Christians. And it's a powerful, powerful opportunity. And so we want to continue to offer this. I'm very thankful to Seanette. Seanette, where'd you go? She, she's in the back there. Very thankful to our team leader. Uh, we had been praying last year before Seanette had this trip laid on her heart, that somebody besides our missions director would lead a trip out of country. And uh, here God had been stirring Seanette's heart right in the midst of our prayers for that. So thank you, Seanette, for leading that team. And uh, we're very excited, as we talked about last week, to continue to move the ball forward with short-term missions here at VLC because of what we can accomplish for God in the world. Why don't we go ahead at this time and dismiss our young disciples? You can go on down the hall and get a message on your level, and uh, we're excited for what you're learning. I hope you all said your memory verse in the lobby this morning. I had people practicing at 6.45 this morning and trying to recite in the upstairs hallway while others were sleeping. So, All right, old disciples, that's you. Turn your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to Romans chapter 12. We are going to be 
in our third week talking about doing life together. Uh, where we're at as a church is to, throughout the year, talk about the different hallmarks of what a disciple looks like. And our goal is twofold. Number one, for those of you who we have challenged to be disciple makers, folks who need to reproduce other disciples and, and be a participant in that, uh, we want to give you a kind of crash course throughout our sermons. I guess it's not a crash course if it's 45 weeks. Uh, it's a, it's a long-term course throughout our sermons over the course of this year. And for those of you who are coming to faith, or maybe, maybe you're getting back into church right now and you're trying to realign yourself with serving the Lord Jesus, well, these topics that we're going to cover three weeks at a time are going to put you in position to be the type of disciple that Jesus described, a real world changer for the Lord. So we're going to be in Romans 12 this morning, and then next week we'll be on to a new topic. I got home rather late one day this week. It was a pretty busy week, lots of different things going on. And when I get home, I get assaulted. And, and when I mean, I mean literally, I get assaulted. There's a five-year-old who tries to kill me when I walk in the door. So, so the question every night is, Dad, can we wrestle? And, and depending on how I feel that night, yes or no. And then when the five-year-old wants to wrestle, then the six-year-old wants to wrestle. And then the six-year-old wants to wrestle, then the nine-year-old wants to wrestle. Now, my girls are old enough that they don't want to wrestle yet. They just want help with something on their iPhone. But everybody needs a little bit of dad when I get home in the evenings, and everybody needs a little bit of my attention, and I have to be honest with you, I can't always give all my kids the attention that they need that night. It's just impossible. Well, I got home in a certain kind of mood, and it wasn't in a mood to wrestle, and it certainly wasn't in a mood to be tech support. I, I was not in a mood necessarily to help with any math homework. I had a plan. My plan was to eat dinner. And then since I hadn't been home a lot this week, my plan was to do the dishes so my wife wouldn't feel completely alone in parenting. And then my plan was to take a jog before it got dark, and I might even take the dog with me even though I don't like her. <laughs> that was my plan. And so we're sitting around the dinner table, we're about to wrap up, and I got my plan in mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go do the dishes so my wife knows I love her, which is not actually an expression of love, it's just an expression of being human. Which, you know, but we men sometimes think we're scoring points when we do dishes, when we just should, but anyhow. But, it, you know, I still operate in stupidity a huge portion of the time. So I'm going to do dishes, and I'm going to get out on my jog, and if Bella hasn't annoyed me, I'll take her with me. And we're sitting there wrapping up dinner, and my five-year-old looks at me and says, Daddy, how do I know if I'm hearing from God? And I thought, all right. This is going to back up my evening. So I used, to, I used to think that I had to answer all questions, but I knew that wasn't going to be the best course of action. So I looked at my nine-year-old Cameron. I said, Cameron, have you ever heard from the Lord? And he says, yes, absolutely. I said, Cameron, tell Nathan how you heard from the Lord. So the nine-year-old told the five-year-old how he heard from the Lord. I said, Sienna, you ever heard from the Lord? She says, yeah, I've heard from the Lord. I've heard, the, I've heard God's voice. I said, how did you hear it? And they conveyed two, two different things. And then Gina and I conveyed, you know, times that we heard from the Lord and how we heard from the Lord. And, and we, we shared with our little five-year-old how we heard from the Lord. And it was, it was an important time because I remember being 18 and I'd hear my dad say, I heard from the Lord and I trusted it because I knew he was a man of character and faith, but I didn't know how that worked. But the fact that we had that conversation was not in the plan. I told you I had a plan. I needed to do dishes. I needed to take a jog. 
I needed to take Bella for a run so that she wouldn't escape and have the neighbors hating us, you know. But we slowed down because I thought to myself, if I can't spend time with this blessing and this gift right now, what am I spending my time on? As a father, when it's an opportunity to make disciples and uh, move the ball forward for the kingdom of God in my own family, if I can't slow down enough to do that, I, I, I am remiss because I'm hopeful that my five-year-old can hear the voice of the Lord his whole life long, not when he turns 18 or 21 or 29 after he's messed up his life. I needed to slow down and give him that attention. If you're a Christian today, your brothers and sisters here need you to slow down and pay them that kind of attention. They need you. Uh, they, They need you to be able to say, you know, I do have a plan, And I do have a way in which I want things to go, and I do have a schedule that I need to keep. But if it's important that I take the time to help other people flourish in the kingdom of God. And that's what we've been attempting to convey these past two weeks, and what I'm going to attempt to convey that to you this morning. That if your brothers and sisters in Christ get your attention, even in the midst of interrupting your plan... God's going to do incredible things through that. We need to slow down and prioritize the most important things and let our plans sometimes go by the wayside. So I'd like to illustrate this today through Romans chapter 12, which is a powerful, powerful chapter. Paul has described up through verse 11 not only the good, good news of the gospel and everything that Jesus has done for us, but Paul has also described how holy history works and what God was doing in the Old Testament and now what he's doing in this New Testament world. And then in chapter 12, he begins to tell us how we are to respond to the good, good news of the gospel. And the the concrete evidence of responding to the gospel that Paul presents is interesting. And I want to show you the concrete evidence that Paul suggests to us is concrete evidence of being a disciple, because I think that it's going to be a little bit shocking to us today. As you can see from the slide on the screen, if you wanted to break up Romans chapter 12, you could do it this way. You could see the appeal to be transformed, the effective oneness with other disciples that Jesus calls us to, and the culture of Christian oneness. Uh, And, of course, we're not going to be able to talk about effectiveness in the dying world today. There's just too much to cover. But what I'd like to do before we leave this place today is to give you a picture of what disciple-making relationships look like in life together. And I'm not going to do that through Pastor Matt's folksy wisdom. I'm going to do that through the Word of God. I'm going to tell you what Paul told us as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And perhaps if we get a little better picture of what we should be slowing down for, we will be more compelled to do so. Let's go ahead and break this into three chunks this morning, just like you saw on your screen. And let's see what the Apostle Paul has to teach us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Raise your hand if you've ever heard these passages preached on before. Raise it high. Raise them real high. Okay, yeah, yeah, that is like we're in the 90th percentile here, right? 
Pastors love these verses. I'm going to spend like two minutes on them, right? We're going to work because you're going to hear them again, and you've heard them from me before, and, and, and you've heard them in youth and young adults, and you've heard, you'll hear, you'll, we'll do this passage again. The, the general concept here is Paul is appealing to them by the mercies of God to change. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, all the stuff we just learned, all that Jesus has done for you from chapters 1 through 8, all the ways in which Jesus has blessed you and died for your sins and rose again for your justification, all the ways in which Jesus has given you hope of eternal life, I appeal to you based on who Jesus is and what Jesus does that he get all of you. I want your life, verse 1, to be a spiritual sacrifice. You're saying, I'm dying to myself, I'm coming alive to you. That's baptism, right? That's that's what baptism signifies. We're baptizing here in just a a number of weeks. I'm I'm dying to self, I'm coming alive to Christ. I want you to be holy, set apart, as God is set apart. I want you to do what God does. I want you to do what is acceptable. That means in a religious sense, I want to do what is acceptable to God. God gets all of me. That's what Paul says. It's only reasonable that if Jesus has done all of this for you, God gets all of you. And the way for God to get all of you is to change the way in which you think. You need to have a renewing of your mind. You can't think in the old pattern and, and, and be, un, or be changed. You have to think in a new pattern and be completely transformed. And, of course, you've heard it if you've been in church. The, the, the verb is metamorpho. We get our metamorphosis, and you can go from a caterpillar to being a butterfly, praise the Lord, right? And so you've heard this, right? You've heard this. I emerge as a new creature in Christ by being transformed by the renewal of our mind. And usually we preachers, we just stop there because subject headings make us stop, and we don't know why. Because I want you to know that the numbers of verses weren't in the original text, nor were the subject headings. And sometimes it's really good to ignore them because there's a flow of thought. The joke in seminary is whoever put the subject headings and verse numbers in was doing so while riding a horse. And so we don't always want them to be the place we stop. Sometimes we need to go and see the flow of thought. And Paul is going to give us the concrete example that our mind is being renewed and that we are being transformed. Let's go ahead and look at what those concrete examples are, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We'll come back there. Let's keep reading. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Could you say that with me? Members of one another? Members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them, says Paul. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We'll stop there. We've got four more verses to go, but we'll stop right there. So Paul is saying you need to be completely transformed, you need to be holy, you need to be set apart, Jesus needs to get all of you. Here's a concrete example that Jesus has all of you. You will be effectively as one with other disciples. 
concrete example that Jesus has all of you is that you will be effectively as one with other disciples. But we can't get to that quite yet because we have verse 3 to deal with, right? There's a mind change that has to take place. Let's go back to verse 3. Let's look at the mind change. Remember, we have to have our minds renewed. Look at what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what's the mind change that has to take place for you to be effectively as one with other disciples? What's the mind change? You can't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. You have to decrease your level of self-importance. That's what Paul says is necessary for you to become effectively as one with other disciples. Don't think of yourself too highly. Think of yourself according to the measure of faith which God has assigned. Now, scholars have fought over what that means. Like, God gives Josh Kopsick more faith than he gives me. God gives Caleb Mosier more faith than he gives me. And that's not what's going on at all. Remember, in Romans, faith often applies to what God has done, not what we have done. And so God has assigned a measure of faithfulness to each and every one of us. So in essence, we think of ourselves according to the faithfulness that God has showed to us. And therefore, we're able to produce a humility. So when we worship and we tell God just what a great thing he has done in us, it causes us to want to remember we were sinners, we needed to be saved by grace, we didn't have our act together. Why are we acting in pride now? Because Jesus has showed us that we should ultimately be living in humility. So humility leads to unity. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now Paul was writing from Corinth. And they had a lot of pride problems. So he was writing from Corinth to Romans. So they had people who thought they knew best. That was the first issue. I have a certain way of interpreting the Bible, and my way is best, and I am, I am smart. And therefore, you're not as smart, and therefore, effectively, we're not as one. Of course, we also saw the horrible and nefarious nature of all the rich people in church were getting together for a feast. And then when the feast was over, they'd be like, all right, all you poor people and all you slaves can come, and now, now we'll do church but you weren't invited to the feast. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty gross, right? And then, of course, in Corinth, there were people who were really impressed with their spiritual gifts or their, their charismatic gifts is maybe a better way to put it, and they were like, look how spiritual I am. I can do all of these things with ecstatic speech. Look at me. A and so there was all these problems going on in Corinth. Paul doesn't address any of those here because he doesn't know what the pride issue will be in Corinth. He simply knows there'll be a pride issue. He doesn't know what the pride issue is. He's not been to, Cor or to Rome yet, forgive me. He doesn't know what the issue is in Rome. He just knows there's going to be a, a, a pride issue. And the pride issue is going to be what keeps people from being effectively as one with other Christians. So Paul is extending to us this, this general concept that if you're really going to be transformed by God, it starts with seeing yourself as members of one another. Isn't that interesting? Like that's where his mind goes. A renewed mind and, and, and a transformed person is someone that sees themselves not as a free agent, not as a lone ranger, but as one with other believers. That, that's what he's getting at. That is proof positive that you're being transformed by Christ. Now, I really don't think we have the problems that Paul uh, was experiencing in Corinth. 
I don't think that many of you are like, I'm smarter than the rest of you, and therefore I know how to teach the rest of you, and all the rest of you are dummies. I don't think we have a lot of that. There might be a little. There might be a smidge. But I don't think we have a lot of that. I haven't heard of any feasts that you're having where I'm not invited, right? And I, ha- I haven't heard about these, these cliquish behavior where, where all the rich people get together and then the poor people are left out. So, so I haven't heard about that. And, and you know what? We're, we're, we're pretty good, even though we have a charismatic heritage here. We're, really, we're pretty good about people not acting over-spiritual. Look at me. Look how spiritual I am. So it's, it's, it's not those issues of pride that necessarily lead to lone rangerism or, or free agentism. I do think what affects us is what affects the overall American church today. And I am going to begin to speak for just a moment in what I would call a prophetic voice, not a, not a predictive voice, but a voice that is, um, that is germane to the times. I think the major problem in American Christianity of pride is that our time is not submitted to God. That's our pride issue. And you say, I don't, I don't see that as a pride issue, but, but it, it really is, and let me explain what I mean. The, the Old Testament gods were named Baal and Asherah and Mammon. These were the idols of the Old Testament world. The New Testament idols that Paul would have, would have been railing against would, would have been you know, Dionysius and, and, and Artemis and, and, and Zeus and everything that they represented. But I think the idol that, that is unnamed within American Christianity is named Busy. I believe that is the number one idol of American Christianity. And you spell busy B-U-S-Y because you always have to spell the idol's name in a good church setting. I think that's our our main idol. And, And the busyness is not necessarily the issue, but it's the inability to change our plan and the way in which we use our time to be effectively as one with other disciples that is our plague. That's our plague. That, that's, what, that's what we, and now this is physician heal thyself, okay? I'm, I'm talking to Pastor Matt here for just a minute. The people who need to tell you how busy they are are usually the ones that are, are dealing with this pride issue. Just ask my staff how I tell them how busy I am. Just ask them. But that's a pride issue, right? And, and it happens, this pride issue, Tom, Tom Corey, don't, don't judge me. This pride issue happens to me with my life group every single week because I've got this going on and 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 this going on. And at noon on Tuesdays, I'm going to come into this room and we're going to, it's a life group based on prayer, and we're going to pray for all of you. And this immoral, unethical, ungodly thought comes into my mind. I don't have time to pray for the church with my life group. Almost every week, I'm busy. I serve B-U-S-Y, not C-H-R-I-S-T. I serve the schedule. The schedule's not serving me. So yes, American Christianity has a problem with holiness. Yes, American Christianity has, has problems with all types of things. But I think our main idol is B-U-S-Y. And it keeps us from being effectively as one with other disciples. And as we have demonstrated over the course of the num- last number of weeks, if we are not effectively as one with other disciples, we are not effective in the world. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember we talked about that? And what's the payoff? Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you would bear fruit and fruit that remains. So your loving relationship is the seedbed for the fruit of the gospel. 
It's, 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 it's the soil by which you are effective as Christians, your loving community. We saw it last week in Pastor Peter's message. They, they did life together. They prayed together. They studied together. They took the Lord's uh, Supper together. They spent time both in the big service and in the smaller settings. They did that together, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Luke lets us know that there was a payoff to the community, right? So it's not just this insular thing, but we got to get this one right. We have to be effectively as one with other believers, so that we can be effective in the world. How might this apply? And this is the problem. We don't often apply these like in a setting. We get these lists of spiritual gifts like in Ephesians chapter 5 or here. It might be Ephesians chapter 4. Mike Harris, you can check me on that later. Uh, You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and here we get these lists and then we don't like think about how they might be applied. We don't think about that. but, But imagine how this might be applied in a smaller setting, right? Let's just imagine 10 people gather and someone has the gift of prophecy, meaning they have a timely word germane to the times. And, and 90, 90-some percent of the time in the Old Testament, that's what prophecy is. Prophecy can be predictive, but when we talk about prophecy, we're talking about a timely word germane to the times. So somebody comes in and goes, you know, guys, you know, I've been seeing this on the news, and I, I've been seeing this in our neighborhoods, and I feel very strongly that God's saying to us tonight, X, Y, Z. And that group of 10 people goes, that person's not a weirdo. They're not out to lunch. I trust that they heard from the Lord. We should listen to that. So, so effectively, a prophet in our midst is not somebody who runs around in robes with a long white beard, but is someone who has a timely word germane to the times who we listen to, and it challenges us. But many of us haven't heard a prophetic word in a very long time. Maybe we heard it when we submitted ourselves in humility to come pray in an altar and someone came and gave a word over us, but we haven't had a prophetic word spoken into our life in quite some time. We have this picture of the one who serves. Once again, imagine this for the setting of 10 people, that they're gathering regularly in a smaller group, and, and that person with the gift of service makes sure that it's a warm and hospitable environment because no one wants saltines and spam when they gather. They want something better than that. They want a warm and hospitable environment. They don't want it to smell weird right? People with the gift of service are intentional about when Christians gather together, we make it a warm and hospitable and intentional environment. Someone with the gift of teaching had the audacity to read a commentary. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands and ask how many of you have read a commentary, because for most people, reading a commentary would be like a swift kick to the face. That's not something you want to do. You want to read your Bible, you want to understand what you can understand, and you want to go from there. Maybe you have an ESV study Bible and you spent $68 on that. And you, you're, I, I love those, by the way. I just recommended them. And, and, and you get a little bit of notes, but you're not going to read a commentary. But maybe someone in the group has. And maybe as you're studying the Word of God together, the teacher among the group can say, you know what? I think we need to make sure that we, we, don't, we don't stray from the Word of God here. This is, is how this has been interpreted down through history. And that's the power of a commentary. How have people interpreted this down through history? Not just how do we interpret it in 2023. And imagine for just a moment, somebody in the, in the group has the gift of generosity. So when the, the group says, hey, we're all going to go see a play, or we're going to go out to dinner together, or we're going we're gonna to do something together, nobody feels like, well, I can't do that because I don't have the means. So the person with generosity leads in generosity, and the exhorter hears the word of God spoken and goes, we got to do it. We got to do it. Josh Montgomery, you can do it, man. I know you can do it. He's like, no, I can't. He's like, yes, you can. 
you can do that because the Lord's called us to do it. We need to do it. And the person who leads can go, goes, you know what, we've read that. Why don't we just do it? Why don't we just go serve the poor as a group together? I'll organize it. Why don't we go share the gospel together in this setting? I'll organize it. I'll get it together. Let's do that. So the person who leads, leads with zeal. And the person with mercy goes, you have a need? You have a need? I'll meet that need. You need a ride? I'll give you a ride. You need prayed for? I'll, I'll pray for you. You need somebody to visit you? Too? I'll, I'll go. See, we never get an effective picture of what Christian community looks like. We just read a list like, what's your gift? And the, the, but we, but, but the, the picture is you can use these gifts to greater effect in smaller community than you can in a room of this size, can you not? Now, this is important, and we mentioned that. This main gathering is what Christians have been doing since the dawn of time. Thank you, Pastor Peter, for telling us this. They met in the temple, and then they met in the smaller settings. Paul references this in Acts chapter 19. They met in the big setting, and then they met in the smaller setting. Christians, as I mentioned during my prayer this morning, they'd meet pre-dawn on the Lord's Day on a Sunday so they could all try to get together without getting arrested. And then they'd have their house church meetings later on in the week. So they, they were big and they were small. But Paul's saying, Roman church, who's already in the smaller settings, right? This is how you use your gifts to be effectively as one with other Christians. We just lack a picture of that. And, and, and not to say that we can't use these gifts. There's people using these gifts of service and hospitality and, and mercy down the hall right now with some of your children. And somebody, somebody operating some of these gifts as you walked in this morning. Somebody may come up to you after church today and say, the Lord told me to pray for you. And they're operating their spiritual gifts. So it can happen in the bigger setting. But I think world change and life change happens in the smaller setting as iron sharpens iron and where you are known and can be known by other believers. Right? Because there's no accountability to this service. There's none. There is zero. You may decide to dip out like for four weeks and I might notice in week four. Right? Because the average church attendance in America today is 1.6 times a month. And so you could be gone for four weeks and be like, well, they'll just make it up next month, right? So the world has changed. We, we, we've gotten bigger. We've gotten busier. We've, we, 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 we've gotten more involved in things. But are we effectively as one with other Christians? Because that is a hallmark of being transformed. It's a hallmark. Our effectiveness in Christ is based on this. So Paul gets onto this list, and I'm running out of time here this morning. I'm not going to be able to finish my message. This rarely happens, but I'm not going to bring it in next week. I'm just going to talk really, really fast. But Paul gives us this list, and it's called paranasis. So he's, he's meaning to hit things really, really, really quick anyhow. These quick, quick injunctions. Let's look at the, these injunctions as they begin to be given to us in verse 9. He begins to talk about the culture or what Christian disciples should do one another. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. There's the culture of this oneness. So we've got use your gifts effectively as one, and here's the culture by which you should be exercising those gifts. I just want to make a few comments. I find it interesting that he tells us to love one another twice. First he says, don't let love be fake. Don't fake it. That's, that's the first part, verse 9. And then he comes back a verse later and says, love one another with Philadelphia. Not the cream cheese, brotherly affection, right? <laughs> love one another with brotherly affection, Philadelphia. And sandwiched in the middle is abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. 
Remember two weeks ago we talked about from John chapter 15 that as Jesus is describing the loving community of Christians that they learn together to obey? What is the best place to learn obedience? In a community of love. So here is Paul kind of saying the exact same things that Jesus is saying in that I need you to love one another, but we're really learning to do what is right together. Together we learn to do what is right in this place of brotherly affection, in this place where you know you're loved by the person going, you can do it and you need to do it. You, you can quit it and you need to quit it. That, that community is the place where these things take place. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you picture Jesus wrapping the towel around his waist and washing the feet of his disciples? And then get excited together. Don't be slothful in zeal. Come on, let's do it. There's the exhorter. Be fervent in spirit. There's the gifts of mercy. Hey, we should be praying, guys. Let's pray through this right now. Serve the Lord. Hey, there's the servant. There's the leader going, hey, let's actually go do what we said we would do. Rejoice in hope. Let's worship together. Who's got a guitar? Who's got a djembe? Let's worship together. Be patient in tribulation. Let's be, the, let's be the community that perseveres in a world that's diametrically opposed to us. Remember, as Jesus says, the world hates me. It's going to hate you. Be constant in prayer. Oh, let's pray and expect things to change because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, what? Is powerful and it's working. Let's contribute to the needs of the saints. Let's make sure the church can do its job. And finally, let's show Philazania. We've already been told to show Philadelphia. Now Paul ends this little exhortation before he turns his mind to the outside world and says, let's show Philazania. Together, let's show love to the stranger. It's not insular. It's not all about us. If we get it right in community, it's about who God's going to send us and what we're going to do when they get here. Our effectiveness as one is so important because of the philizania that we're going to need to show. We need to be ready for the stranger to come into our midst and have their spiritual needs met because everybody's using their gifts. It's not insular. It's always on mission. It's always on point. Community is not just community for community. Sake. It never was and it never has been. Community is about our defectiveness. As we do together what disciples do, we become more effective in loving the stranger and welcoming new believers into our midst, finding new ways to integrate disciples and have them be part of what we're doing, helping them to join the story as we live out the story and as we encourage one another to tell the story, this cyclical pattern of we will use our gifts effectively as one in order that we understand that the Lord will be adding to our number daily those who are being saved. When, when we understand that we were called to be disciples, to be fishers of men, when we recognize recognize that Jesus didn't get called by us. He called us that we might bear fruit. So if we're going to bear fruit in this world the way he calls us to, we need to have a renewal of mind that allows us to be completely transformed as we become members of one another. That's what we're called to. That was 15 minutes of sermon in four minutes. You should see these notes. They're awesome. There's brilliant anecdotes, really, really poignant points. But because I respect your time, and I respect the time of the nursery workers down the hall who at this point have, have had enough of your children, 
I'm trying to get it all in. Folks, this is the crux of the matter. I, I, I as a pastor, am, am very interested in showing hospitality to the stranger. I want new people coming to faith. But you can't put the cart in front of the horse. Most of us are running through life as a side of Pico, but nothing else is on the combination plate. And I love Pico de Gallo, I really do. Jalapenos, tomatoes, a little bit of cilantro, some red onion. Good stuff. But, but the world's eating a bowl of it when we're not in community with other disciples. You can't serve them a big bowl of, this is how Jesus is, and you're trying to get them to eat. And they're going, well, the first two bites are good, but I'm not going to have a full dinner of pico. That would be weird. If you eat a full dinner of pico, God bless you. You're weird. <laughs> right? There's other things that need to complement that pico, and the pico needs to complement other things. And when that happens, we can serve people all of who Jesus is. Right? But are you willing to slow down and readjust your plan? to help make disciples in your setting? Are you willing to kick your idol to the side, which happens to be the same idol that I serve, so no judgment zone here, just like Planet Fitness, no judgment zone. Same idol that I serve, you often serve. Are you willing to kick your plan to the side and say, I need to be effectively as one with other disciples? That's proof positive that I'm honoring the Lord Jesus, according to Romans 12. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to respond to you out of the mercy of Jesus, not out of a moment of, <clears throat> oh, I don't even know. We just want to be responsive to our Lord Jesus and what he's done. Jesus, I'm quite certain this is how you made disciples. And I know this is how your disciples made disciples. And so, Lord, could we submit ourselves to what you've called us to? Lord, can we use our gifts to bless other Christians? Can, can we just drop the, the concept that the only redeeming quality of a smaller group gathering is the content? Can we just drop that for a moment and recognize the most redeeming quality of a, of a smaller setting is when we spur one another on using our gifts to love and good deeds, as Hebrews tells us, and then become more effective at loving the stranger and bringing people into the kingdom. The content helps, but our community is king. Lord, help us. Help us. Help us to stop what we're doing and reevaluate. We want to be effective in this world for you. Help us to do it your way. Change our minds, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for your perseverance. Don't hug me after service, I'm sweaty. In fact, I'll try to avoid you. That doesn't mean I don't love you, but I'll try to avoid you. Anyhow, why don't you stand with us?
Uh, next week, we're moving into a new topic, which is personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. If you've been working on somebody to invite them to church, it'd be a great week for you to invite somebody. They're going to hear the gospel. And so just wanted to make you aware of that. But for now, God bless you. We'll see you next week.